Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a six-time NBA All-Star, the Rain Man, Sean Kemp. Taking off the Kemp pick. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a six-time NBA All-Star. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rain Man, Sean Kemp. Sean, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, man, Brett, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, you recently up in Seattle, weren't you? Because I, I'm no, up I, there. I'm, you know, I'm there full-time. I live in Seattle. I mean, that's, um, you know, I've been married for over 20 years. My wife is from here. So I'm here full-time. But I got to I, I made a trip up there recently about a month ago and they said you were in town right before throwing out. How was the first pitch for you? Because think about it. For me, I had to throw out the first pitch when I was there and I've done it a lot of times. But I'm telling you, when I retired, it's different now. It's different for me. I mean, everybody's all booty. You got to go to the rubber. I said, I ain't going to the rubber. I'm going halfway on the dirt and hopefully I'm going to get in and out with a strike because there's no winning for me. Right, right. How how is it for how is it for for an NBA player didn't do this for a living throwing out a first pitch easy? It was it wasn't bad, but I will tell you this, man. I have to throw from the rubber because I have a son, and my son he's like this. He's like, do not throw it in the dirt. Don't throw a girly pitch. Get up there and deliver a strike, please. <laughs> the, the, kid, the kids will do that to you. They'll absolutely. Do so it was it was more of a challenge for my son Jamal, man, just to get up there and just to throw a strike. In anything. Very cool. Uh, what, what What's your welcome to the NBA moment? What do you remember first time you get there? I mean, you know, it's just so so competitive, first of all. You know, you're so fortunate to, to get into professional sports just to start off with. Some people don't understand, um, you know, and to become good at something is even even better. But just to, to really get there, man, is just exciting. So I think um, – between you and me, my first my first experience of getting in the NBA was to to realize that I was drafted in the NBA, and when I got to the Seattle SuperSonics, to realize I was the last man on the team. I still had a lot of work to do. Twelve out of twelve, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. So you know, I was I got drafted well, but it was just like man, it's almost like starting over because you realize even though you got drafted, man, now it's really time for you to put the work in. Uh, Elkhart, Indiana. Sean Kemp, what was Sean Kemp like as a little kid? Man, just a uh, just an active kid growing up. Uh, definitely about sports. You know, my first love was baseball. I grew up playing baseball. Uh, my dad was a good baseball player. He played softball, so I grew up in a baseball softball park all my life. Um, you know, playing baseball, but. As a, as a lot of kids, my problem was man, it was tough for me to hit those curveballs growing up. So, so uh, as I grew, I just really got into more of uh, football and basketball and stuff. But no doubt about it, my first love is a uh, is a uh, baseball player. Really, that, that's kind of been the theme lately. We had Anthony Munoz on uh, the lineman. Yeah. He baseball was his whole thing. We had Jack Del Rio baseball. Mm-hmm. So all these football players love. And then I tell my story. Well, OK, I'm five. Sean, I'm five ten on a good day. But I'll tell you this. 
when I was a kid in high school, yeah, I was a decent basketball player. I love basketball. When practice would end, I'd go home, I'd go to the rec center and I'd play with all those, those dads just coming home from work and I'd get to pick up game. I couldn't get enough hoop. Right, but right. by about midway through high school, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that, you know, I don't think I'm going to the NBA, but I got a shot at this baseball thing. So we're kind of reversed, man. I, it, oh, I, I just loved hoops. I couldn't get enough of it. No, absolutely. I mean, I hear you on that. You know, with me, it was, uh, it was more of, it was more of me just growing up in that little league field. You know, you know, most kids in most kids in the United States back in the day grew up playing little league baseball. That was their first introduction to sports. You know, outside of the school was kind of little league. That was the that was the one that kind of got all the kids together in the neighborhood and and uh, and and it showed who was the best hitter and stuff. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, Concord High School. <laughs> 1988. Yeah, I went to Concord High School. Um, man, to let you know, yeah, we had a great time in high school. I actually played in front of the largest crowd in high school history in basketball. It was over 100,000 people. So uh, 100,000 people in the Hoosier Dome. Yeah, Indiana, that's huge. Especially yeah, high school. It's, it's like Texas football games I hear about. High school football games. I said, Booney, it's amazing. In te- the whole city comes out for high school football games. It probably was like that Indiana basketball. Absolutely. You're 100% correct, man. It was, that's what it was. It's more of a, um, not a whole lot of professional sports hype around that area. So high school kids, you generally get a lot of attention. 1988, uh, McDonald's High School All-American. What's that mean? Man, what that means is that you got a chance to be something after high school playing ball. That's what that means in, in my eyes. It doesn't mean that you're going to be spectacular. It doesn't mean that you're better than anybody. But what it means is that you're going to have a chance to be noticed to play basketball in college and maybe get a chance to have a scholarship if you make the McDonald's team. And from what I heard, uh, one of the best classes ever. No, 88. I think so. I do. I think so. I um, I came out with a, a with a with a great class. A guy by the name of Alonzo Morning was a great competitor of mine growing up through high school. Billy Owens, um, you know. So we had a great class, a huge class. Uh, we were very big in size and stuff, so we got a lot of attention. And uh, you know, it was just a, a great thing to be a part of. You know, when you register to be maybe in high school, one of the top fifteen or top ten basketball players in the world, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a confidence, a little bit of a swag to make you feel better. But, you know, in my eyes, those days, it was just about even working harder. You know, that's when you really go to working harder, man. You, When people give you a little attention, it means that you got to put a, a little more time into working hard. Now, I, I know that, uh, you know, a year later, you end up going straight to the NBA. But that recruiting process for you, uh, high school, you end up signing a letter of intent uh, with the University of Kentucky. You end Correct. up going there, Prop 48. Uh, and then you end up going to Trinity Valley uh junior college, but you never played. You end up going into the NBA draft in 89. But what was that recruiting process for you in 88? Why did you choose your intention was to go to play for the University of Kentucky? Why, why Kentucky? Well, I mean, Kentucky had so much tradition, so much history in the game of basketball. I um, developed some real close relationships with some coaches down there in Kentucky. The other choice of school that I was going to go to was Indiana University, Bobby Knight, who was a really good, who's a really good coach who I really, really wanted to play for. Uh, and, and when I left uh, high school, 
Um, but, you know, Kentucky to me, just I, I thought at the time they had the best class. They had the best recruiting class. And, you know, the best way to get into these professional sports sometimes in college is just to win. You know, you want to get in college, you want to compete with the best and you want to win. So I thought going to Kentucky, that would give me definitely the best chance to be on TV, to be able to compete with some of these great college players and uh, lead me on and give me a shot to get into the professional ranks. 89, you declare uh, you're eligible for the draft, you know, in the first round, 17th overall pick to to the Supersonics. I think that your rookie year, uh, you said you were the 12th man out of 12 men. But uh, pretty awesome, pretty awesome. You're the yeah, young, you're, yeah. you're the young, you're the youngest guy in the league. Yeah. And when I think about other sports, you know, the NBA, the NFL, uh, it's just it, it's the baseball is the one sport where you don't go straight to the to the show. It's always the minor leagues and, and college college hoops is kind of the minor leagues for the NBA, just like uh, Division One football. That's usually the minor leagues to go to the NFL, but you're a kid. You get to the NBA. I think you're 19 or 20 years old. Like I said, youngest guy in the league. And the last time you played competitively in high school, now you're on the court with the, I couldn't imagine that for, for myself. I mean, when I was 18 years old, Sean, I thought I was the greatest baseball (laughs) player in the world. Just ask me, but to put now knowing what I know now to put me in the big leagues at 19. Oh, I wouldn't know what to do. And uh, what was that experience for you? No, it was it was a great it was a great challenge is what it was. And um, me, as far as myself, man, at that time, it was a great competitiveness between me and the good guy that, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, we started about the same year, about the same time. We were very good friends and we were very competitive. So, you know, I would. You know, as as well as I would do in these basketball games, I would come over there to the uh, Kingdom and watch the baseball games, and Ken would try to get over there to the basketball games and watch the uh, the you know the NBA games, and you know, and just as like nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, those years, man, we were very competitive, always trying to push each other to the next level of greatness. That is, um, I didn't even think about that because you're right. Kenny's rookie year was 89. I got to the big leagues. This is, this was a wake up moment for me. Like I said, when I came out of high school, you know, I think I'm this and that I get to the big leagues in 1992 and Kenny and myself were the same exact age. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm good. I get there. I'm watching this freak of a kid. And when I say freak, I mean, in a good way. And I'm going, this guy's the same age as me. And he's already got three years. He's already an all-star. I'm just yeah. getting going. And that was my first little dose of uh, humble pie going, wow, there's guys out there that are just on a different level. That's cool. That, that now that I, now that I think about it, yeah. 89 is your, you guys are kind of your, your careers kind of paralleled one another just no, in a different I, I, sport. No, absolutely. And the thing about it at the time, um, you know, I would go over there to the ballpark early and watch the uh, batting practice. Ken and his father was hitting them up both out of the park. That's right. They went back to back. They were going back to back. I mean, they were in a batting practice, so it was simply amazing for me to see that. And, uh, you know, it was a, a lot of encouragement. When you're 19, man, you just – you don't need a lot, a lot of encouragement, but when you get a little bit, you can just latch on to it. And I think that's what me and Ken did around here. We got a little attention. We just latched on to it and just worked it as well as it could be worked. Uh, so anybody take you under their wing as a rookie? 
Yeah, man. The whole, basically the whole team. But uh, there was a guy that I that I got drafted with. His name is Dana Barrows. He's from Boston College. He lives in Boston now. Great guy, man. A great teammate. Great friend. Um, yeah, man. We were just we were good friends. Very competitive. He was a guard. I was a forward. So we we worked worked with each other a lot. Um, yeah, man. Absolutely. Dana always checked on me, man. Made sure. Uh, you know, I was putting in that extra work, making sure that, you know, I was doing things right. And, uh, those things are important. You know, it's sometimes when you make it to professional sports, you need that, that, that person to, to help you to get over the knot, man, to make you feel a little comfortable. And Dana Barrels was definitely there for me. 20 years old in the NBA. How are, how are you received by the other players? Was it a challenge for you? I mean, Absolutely. obviously it's a, cha- I, I, oh, obviously what? it was a challenge, but they, were they going to teach the young kid a lesson? <laughs> oh, they did very often. Trust me. And you know, you, you got to remember this, man. At the time is you're talking about 1989, where you're talking about an 18, 19 year old kid taking a guy's, a grown man's job, which is probably 26, 30 years old. It's going to, it's going to be tough. You're not just going to walk in and do that, man. So, um, I've always told people this, my challenge to get into the NBA was so hard, man. It was, it was, it was so much work because it was so much practice and so much dedication because people doubted you because of your age. When guys like Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett came along, they didn't have to do half of that work. After most of that work was really done by me when I, I joined the forces because people really didn't believe that a kid could really be that strong or, or be valuable to a team early on, uh, in those projections. So, with myself to be able to, to overcome those things, I think it made it much easier for a guy like Kobe Bryant and a guy like Kevin Garnett. They didn't have to go through as much as I did practicing times and things of that nature because those 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 roles were already laid a little bit from what I had, had accomplished. And um, so when I see those guys, man, it just makes me smile. I, we're, but we've always been great friends. I was great friends with Kobe before he died. I'm still great friends with Kevin Garnett. And, um, you know, those two means a lot to me because basically they kind of follow my footsteps into greatness. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, 1990 average six and a half points a game. 91. Uh, kind of you come into your own 15 point uh Eight and a half rebounds, 92, 15 and a half, 10 and a half. You go to the playoffs for the first time, you get a little taste of that, 92. Um, you know, I got to I got to play in Seattle uh, for the better part of seven years, early in my career in the, in the early 2000s. And I got to see that city uh, when it was truly it was on fire. I mean, that, you know, it was the early days of Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park. But. Oh man, I'll never forget those days. And that city was just every night it was packed. How was that in the supersonic days? I to this day, John, I can't believe it because in the early 2000s, I'd go out to all the Sonics games and I loved them. And then Sonics left, and I said, "How can the city of Seattle let the Seattle Supersonics leave this?" It was it, it was amazing to me. I still can't believe yeah. it to this day. Hopefully, you know, one day you'll get it back, but. How was the city at that time, 92, first time in the playoffs? Man, this city was going crazy. And I think um, that's why those, those, uh, those things happened later on, like in the year 2000. It's because in those 90s, I mean, it was, everything was, was going crazy. Um, I can take you back to these days and tell you this. 
as I came in and I was good friends with King Griffey, I was also good friends with other guys. So we were all young guys about the same age of 19, 20 years old. So the guys from Pearl Jam, we were great friends with each other. We met each other when we were about 18 or 19. They received greatness up in their careers. Nirvana, I knew those guys. So they were around the same age as me also. So we all kind of grew up in this area around here. And you kind of seen the city of Seattle just take off at a point where not just in basketball, but it was just awesome in sports. It was awesome in a lot of things where this city kind of matured in the 90s and was able to blossom and become uh, the city that it is today. Yeah, Allison Chains was up there, too. I, yeah, I remember those days. I remember those days. Um, 1993, you're an all-star for the first time, and you'll do that the next five years in a row. Um, yeah, yeah I, ended up starting, I ended up starting five, uh, five all-star games in a row, so I was a starter five years in a row. Um, you know, that's a big accomplishment because I actually, uh, those five years, I was actually taking the positions of like Charles Barkley or uh, Dennis Rodman. All those guys didn't start an all-star game because I was a starter. So that's a lot of, uh, it was definitely a step in the right direction for myself in that career. Now, this is something that, that interested me when I was, I was doing my check on you and, and doing my research be, before the podcast. Belltown District used to go play games. Absolutely. What is that? Explain to that to the Boone podcast audience. The Belltown, well, Belltown was like this. I um, I, when I explain this to you, when I first came to Seattle, when I was playing in these games, man, I um, they had some good players. They had the X Men here. They had great players here. So I didn't, I didn't think that I was getting enough playing time. And sometimes instead of uh, telling people like the media this stuff, sometimes it goes in the wrong direction. So basically, what I did was I used to go to the basketball court every night, whether we play the game or not. And I would go downtown to the Belltown District and uh, and just show people what I could do. So the crowd started growing every day. So at first it'd be 1,000 or 2,000 people out there at night. And then all of a sudden it'd be three, four, five thousand 5,000 people coming out there at night just to watch me play. And I think the Sonics got the message. They made a few trades, and then uh, they put me in the starting lineup. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. That's amazing to me. That'd be, that'd be kind of like junior me and junior are going to go after the game. We're going to go down with the, There's a field. There's a field in Bellevue. We're going to play. We're going to play a pick. I, I think it's pretty awesome though, but no, you're 20, but I, no, you're 20 years old. Yeah. But at the time it's like, how do you get this message across to these people that you're really serious about playing and competing and you don't want to do it in the wrong way? You know, like going to the media sometimes is just the wrong way. Some guys, they get so mad these days. They go to the media and they want to claim these things. But sometimes you just got to go out and do it the hard way and just show people that you're willing to work and uh, make some things happen. Kevin Calabro uh, named you the Rain Man. How did he hang that on you? And he spelled it R-E-I-G-N. Well, we had a contest on the radio station. And uh, some of the people around here were trying to call me Reindeer and you know, the rain, man, whatever it was, R-A-I-N. And we were like, no, it's not going to, it's not going to work. And um, later on that night, Kevin Calabro called me. He goes, what about rain as in thunderstorm? What about rain as in the old rain? And I was like, no, Kevin, I don't think so. But I tell you what, I woke up like at three o'clock that morning and I called those guys. And I was like, you know what? I like it. Let's stick with it. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. So that next day we came out with a, uh, a deal called a rain man water. 
and it uh, it really took off through the city. Um, we were able to sell about a million dollars of bottled water, and uh, and the, the name just really took off from that point. 1996, you get to the finals uh, for the first time. You're playing those Bulls. Um, take me through that. You had a great series. You're almost the MVP of the series, and you guys didn't even win. But you play the Bulls, Jordan's Bulls. Uh, you know, I just I, I watched the uh, his documentary. How good was that Bulls team? The Bulls team was great, man. They were the, – the thing about the Bulls is that they were a very smart team. They were very coached well, and they studied other teams. So to really beat the Chicago Bulls, you had to have a whole team effort to beat them. And you couldn't have individuals just going out there having great nights to beat them. Um, and also they learned from the best, which was the Detroit Pistons, who, who beat them for a number of years. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen. Um, Phil Jackson was one of the greatest coaches that I've ever seen. And those guys, they just stuck to their game plan. They were really good at what they wanted to do. They kept guys in check, uh, the guys that were their role players. And the Stars delivered the punch. So uh, it was great to play against them. We were very competitive. I think if we were a healthier team at that point in time, I think we had some injuries on our team. I think we would have been a little bit better. But often, you know, I say to myself when I watch these stories, I see Michael Jordan. He always says that the, his favorite championship is that year in '96. So it makes me realize that we probably pushed those guys a little bit, a little bit further than what we thought. But they were great. You know, I hold nothing back from them. I'm telling you nothing. But they were definitely great players. '97, uh, you go back, you lose to the Rockets in the playoffs at Lajuan, and I think Drexler was on that team. Maybe Chuck was there, Barkley. Yeah. Um, and that's before you get traded to the Cavaliers. Now, this is a point you kind of grew up in Seattle. Now you come, you, you come there as a kid, you've known nothing that you've been a five-time all-star. You've gone to finals. Uh, and all of a sudden you're going to Cleveland. Is that kind of a shock for you? I mean, you've, you've known no other organization at that point. What's right. going through your mind going to, to that Cleveland Cavaliers team? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll break this guy down to you guys, and I, I don't mind even talking about it. This is what happens when you – sometimes when you start off with a team and you, you do so well. And me being in Seattle for so many years, man, we've won probably 60 70% of the games here. Now all of a sudden you're forced to go to a city where you're gonna not going to win as much. So I go to Cleveland, and I'm actually playing with 10 rookies. There's only three veterans on the team, and there's 10 rookies. So there's so much of a learning curve there that you, be, you you get involved with getting to know these guys, your teammates. And all of a sudden, now you go from being competitive with the top teams to you being a teacher for one of the lower bracket teams, making sure these guys are doing the things and learning the correct way for your team to be even better. So it's really it's two different outlooks on the game. And it's, uh, you know, uh Sometimes um, us athletes, when we get those bigger contracts, when we, we switch teams, what we don't realize is that when you're at a winning organization, there's no, you know, it's going to be tough for you to get to a losing or it's going to be tough for you to keep winning when you get to a losing organization. It just Pers doesn't. Continue. Yeah. Personally, you're uh, you had three great years at Cleveland. Now you're an no, all star. I did, I did, I, like, Individual is great. You may have individually great years. Right. But team-wise, you lose so much. And I think um, 
you know, as I look back at it, I used to call Gary Payton at nighttime and I'd be like, man, you know, you, and we both say this to this day, we didn't realize how much things were going to change when we didn't play with each other. Yeah. And you think, you know, I, I remember, you know, throughout my career, I had, I was in Cincinnati and we had some, some real good teams in the early nineties. And all of a sudden we weren't so good and it was different. Then I went to Atlanta. I got to go to a world series. I came back to Seattle. We had some really good teams and, Oh, one, oh, two, oh, three, but oh, four, uh, some of the big players started to, to get a little older and move on. And all of a sudden uh, I'm sitting there in oh, four and oh, five. And that magic I had talked about, about that city, man, people were starting to lose interest because we weren't very good anymore. And it was just a different atmosphere. So I know exactly what you're saying. No, uh, talking about a little bit tougher, you know. Yep. Uh, you head over to the Trailblazers uh, for a couple years and, and you finish up with the magic. Um, you end up going to the playoffs the last year of your career for you at the end. Was it, was it hard? Was it, uh, from a physical standpoint, did it just, not at all, not at all, not at all. Nothing physical really bothered me at the end of the game towards the end. What it came down to is like, you take these chances as you, as I went to Cleveland and I played with this team and we were, not as good. I go to Portland where this team is projected to be one of the best teams. We have the highest salary in the NBA. Um, but then we went into one problem. My problem that we ran into was Kobe and Chet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a major problem, you know? So, um, you know, I feel, you know, I just, I, I feel like when you play these professional sports and you, you take a gamble sometimes on these teams and which direction you want to go, Sometimes we get close, but we just don't get close enough. And, uh, you know, I was really close. But I think in Portland, we had a great chance on winning some championships. But you know, as I said, Kobe and Shaq at that time, they really developed and they matured and they came together and they really started playing some great basketball. Okay, now this is just my perception as a as a basketball fan. And I grew up, you know, I grew up in Philly. Uh, so I'm watching the, you know, the 70s and the 80s into the 90s. Uh, but I remember back in the day, you know, Julius Irving, and then I got uh, just, I, I don't know. It, it was, it was the Celtics. It was the Sixers, the Lakers, and then the bad boys from Detroit. I mean, that for me, that's my golden era. Usually when you're younger, that's kind of what you remember the most, but looking back right now, the NBA from the time you played in the nineties and early two thousands compared to that, that game today. Now I know all the sports and, and all the guys that come on, on the show uh, from different arenas from the NFL. I think sports in general is changing. And, you know, I look at baseball and I'm very critical of it. Some of the things I like, some of the things I really don't like, you know, there's too much analytics in baseball. You know, they, they don't give you any uh, uh, context. Sometimes they just give you data and it said, well, this data doesn't, doesn't work if you put it in this context. Nobody thinks about that. So I have my uh, critiques of baseball. What do you see different from the game today versus when you were playing? Well, the game of basketball is definitely transformed into a different game. Now, I respect a lot of these guys that play the game today. I don't have a problem with the way that they play or the style that they play. I just think that the NBA was um, – was forced to make some decisions years ago about physicality. The one thing that you don't want to have is on TV is your brand being known for violence or uh, corruption with, with youth. 
So I think the NBA years ago had to make a, a decision. I'm saying maybe this game is a little bit too physical because if you start having fights and those things on TV, then all of a sudden your, your brand and your product doesn't sell as well and you don't look as well on, on uh, into the media. So I think they made a decision to um, be a little more strict on calls and soften up the league a little bit. And it's not a bad thing to do. But I definitely think now when we watch basketball from from the old school until today, we miss a little bit of that physicality that was out there. And also, you have to remember this, too, Britt, man. We started watching basketball years ago because people enjoyed watching the big man run up and down the court. There was generally guys that were seven feet or over seven feet doing these terrific things at their size. But the game has now changed into more like some Corvettes and some Ferraris out there. They're definitely shrunk size-wise, but they're more faster, they're speedier, and a little more exciting. But, yeah, and, to, uh, and I missed, well, from the 80s, I missed the short shorts. But I, yeah. I love those days, and I love the bang, and I love the fights. I love yeah. it in baseball. They've softened up, too. I, I like – when there's a problem, when we had a problem with an opponent, when he stepped out of the, you know, those kind of those rules guidelines, I, I love when my pitcher hit somebody in the neck. Hey, that's what you get. Because I know if somebody on my team steps out of line, it's an eye for an eye. They've gotten away from that. And I think, I don't know. I think that it seems like when I was playing the game, we took care of the players took care of business on the field. There's a problem. Your best players getting drilled next to bat. We'll squash it. It's over with. Now we move on. Nowadays, they don't really allow you to police yourselves. So these little, I don't, these small problems become bigger and bigger and they drag on and they become, you know, when, like I said, I like just getting rid of it. There's a problem with someone. You got a problem with someone. Let's confront it right now. Let's get it over with and let's play on. That's the one thing I miss about it. You know, baseball now. uh, And for me personally, being a second baseman, you're not allowed to take out the second baseman breaking up a double play. Well, that was the whole game. That's what separated being a great second baseman from being a normal second baseman. Now anybody can go play second base. A third baseman can go over there and turn a double play. So it really cheapens the position. So for me, I look at that and I'm very critical of that. I want to bring back the, a little bit of that old fire, you know, uh, let's, let's change the game for the modern times. I understand that. I understand, uh, the economics in the game now, they're so high. I can see being an owner and want to protect your product. I get all that, but let's just not change it that much. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think um, in all sports, the, the game has definitely changed. They've, def- they've definitely taken a lot from the players in a lot of regard when it comes to the physicality because of the ratings, no doubt. You don't see as many baseball fights. You don't see many players getting brushed back. And in basketball, you're not going to see many hard fouls, and you're going to see a, a technicals on the littlest foul that you've ever seen in your entire life, which upsets the whole crowd. So, you know, I think uh, it's all about the money, man. It's all about these ratings. Unfortunately, this is what the owners are facing you know, everybody's after more money these days, but the game itself I thought was great back in the day with the physicality. I wish it wouldn't have changed. I, I used to be super glued to the TV when they had the NBA fights. I mean, this has made it more more fun for myself. Even if I wasn't playing, I was glued to the TV watching it. So I think we all missed that. And um, will it come back? I doubt it. I doubt it just because of the money that's involved with the game these days. They're going to always kind of be safe and protect their brand. But I surely do wish they would let the games be a little more physical and let the players have a little more, you know, more take, especially at the end of these games to have a, uh, a better ending. 
Once again, I'll take the layman, <laughs> the layman position on this. Just as a fan watching the NBA, I see one of these guys flop. It makes me want to throw up. Oh, my God. I just can't take that anymore. I, mean, I can't even. I couldn't imagine being an ex-NBA player yeah. watching it. I'm, I'm an ex-MLB player watching an, an NBA guy, and I'm throwing up. Yeah, man, it's just. I mean, it's just regard. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. They they really need to do something about the flopping call. You know, if they brush up two or three things, I think the game will be back exciting. But you know, a lot of these guys now are just shooting so many threes in the NBA. I think that what drives most people crazy. You know, they don't go for the the two points anymore. They just automatically everybody's trying to shoot these three pointers. Even got the seven footers are out there even shooting three pointers, which is ridiculous. And uh, that means that it's a numbers game that you're trying to more score more points to impress people. You know, and uh, it shouldn't be that way. The games of basketball should be low score because of defense and hard fouls and hard play. All right, I'm going to do a little uh, rapid fire with you. Just give me whatever comes to your mind. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple players, a few players. Uh, Jordan. Greatness. Magic. The best. Bird. Simply God. My oh, man, I love Larry Bird. Why do I Larry love Bird Larry Bird? Why do idol. I love him so much? Larry Bird is my idol. I grew up in Indiana, not too far from Larry Bird. I wore number seven in the on Dream Team 2. He wore number seven on Dream Team 1. Um, you know, our games are very, very similar. The only thing is, is I could jump a lot higher than Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I the, learned how to do everything he did, man, as far as fundamentally, footwork, everything. A lot of people don't know this, but yeah, I've... No, Larry, to me, Larry Bird is God, man. You know, that's how I learned how to shoot the basketball. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't even have been able to get into the NBA at such a young age. Man, I could watch him all day. Barkley. Barkley is tough, but so short. <laughs> Rodman. Man, Rodman is, a, Rodman is uh, just energized, man. Energized. You know, he's a guy that will do anything for his team. Um, you know, I can tell you this, man. Michael Jordan didn't beat us in the championship. I'm not afraid to say this, man. Dennis Rodman beat us in the, in the championship. It was his second. It was his hustle, him getting rebounds, offensive rebounds, throwing it back out, him getting second opportunities. To me, Dennis Rodman was the main key for beating us. And I'll give you one more. Keem Olajuwon. Keem Olajuwon, man, uh, the best footwork I've ever seen on a big man. Um, I've always had great games against Akeem Olajuwon. I think on my career, I was uh, almost at a 2020 on him, which is ridiculous. And the only reason that I played so well against Akeem is I was a little scared of Akeem. <laughs> wow. Now, before we did this, uh, I was looking, watching some highlights of you. And now that's that was fun for me, watching you go in the lane and dunk. And it, it's not like you were just dunking. You were dunking like you were angry, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was vicious, man. And I think that back in the day, that's the type of adrenaline we played with. We we were passionate about this game of basketball. We wanted people to realize that we were passionate about it. And um, we wanted fans to be intrigued with what we were doing out there. And, of course, those dunks were intentionally done just to make people realize that, hey, that's how much that game really meant to me. Very cool. Today, all right, let's go to your rules, okay? Rules when you were playing so you can be a little more physical. Uh how do you line up banging around with Draymond Green? Well, 
a guy like Draymond Green would be one of those guys that we just talked about. He's going to do a lot of flopping. So the way that you would have to deal with Draymond is this. Going into the game, you cannot get mad. Regardless of what he does to you, he's going to pull your jersey, fall on the floor. He's going to do everything in the world to upset you, to get you off your game. And you kind of have to accept it for first. But a guy like Draymond is not the best jumper in the world. So you just really want to put a body on him, take him down low and punish him. Because if you allow him to his antics to bother your game, he will get in your head and you will have the worst night you've ever had. So, you know, that's that's what's different about the sports. And it's it's fascinating to me because, you know, NFL, NBA, a lot of trash talk, whereas baseball, there's no trash talk. Not one time did I ever get to first base and somebody say anything. Now, you might pimp a home run pitcher might, you know, do a little dance when he strikes you out. Other than that, it wasn't the trash talk. Like I said, it was OK. This guy, we don't like what this guy's doing. He's picking our signs. Let's let's hit him. Let's hit him with the next pitch. And then it was over. That's the way we trash talk. But it's it's crazy to me to, to think in your game, the whole game, because I go to an NBA game, I'll be sitting on the floor and I'll listen. And it cracks me up because oh in, my in my game, we didn't do that. No, man, I can tell you this. Man. I played against Larry Bird my, my rookie season. So we get to Boston when I'm playing against Larry Bird and the X-Man, for some reason, all of a sudden had a knee injury before the game started. So I figured <laughs> I called that Larry, Larry Bird-itis. I played so, with a few guys that had that. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so we got to the game, man. Uh, Larry Bird. Larry Bird gave me. Uh, he gave me. Uh, he gave me. What did he give me? He gave me fifty-two and three quarters. Told me every shot that he was going to hit before he hit it. He told me he was going to bake it in from the left side. He went down there and baked it. I did everything in my power to stop him, and he was still able to do it. So trash talking is definitely live and has been live for a lot of years in the NBA. I think it's cool, though. I kind of wish they would trash talk in baseball. But it's, I don't know. I just think it's a different game. It's slower moving. You know, we're not in each other's face getting physical. It's more of a methodical get in the batter's box. It's you and the pitcher get the first. You know, you're, you're more when you get to second base, those conversations are more about, hey, where are you going to dinner tonight? Not, you know, and, uh, how much hoops you watch these days? A lot, a lot, man, a lot. Um, I got a son that plays basketball and stuff. So a lot. My wife's a basketball coach. So we we uh, we stay in tune with the game a lot. I know the city of Seattle is important to you. You did. You had a lot of great years for that Supersonics team. Uh, 2006, 40th anniversary team. You guys are are announced. Uh, and I heard. Sean Kemp, biggest ovation. Yeah. Did, did yeah. you you appreciate stuff like that? When I go back Man. to Seattle now, I really appreciate it because it, it brings back memories of the real fun times I had there. No, absolutely, man. I appreciate everybody around the city. I mean, that's why I'm still here. Um, you know, it's been tough because basketball definitely been going. But I think we're going to have some good news in the future with the, with the Sonics coming back here very soon. Um, but, you know, the, the best thing about Seattle is the community, man. They give you so much great support here. Um, you know, they were supporting me when I was, was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, and for, I, I'm thankful forever. That's why I still stay here doing a lot of community events and uh, working with my wife throughout the community. That's why I learned how to do community work around here in Seattle as a kid. So that's why I'm still here. Very cool. Sean Kemp. Great career. I appreciate you sitting down today. That was a lot of fun. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast, we bring back the voice of the podcast. I think he might have a question for you, Dan. 
The Rain Man, Sean Kemp. All right, here's a question I got because I'm a Chicago guy, and there's been a long rumor that you were almost traded for Scotty Pippen back in the day. I was actually traded for Scotty Pippen back in the day, believe it or not. I was, um, man, I was, when I was, uh, I was playing for the Dream Team too. Actually practicing in Chicago at the time, received a phone call and it said that you have just been traded to the Chicago Bulls for Scotty Pippen. But the fans here in Seattle were a little bit upset, threatened to burn down the Seattle Coliseum at the time. So they reversed the trade really fast. And I remain with the Sonics. Wow. All right. Question, <laughs> question, question number two. Question number two. You've had so many memorable dunks in your NBA career. What is your favorite? The favorite is the first dunk, man. It's a double pump dunk in New York. What I did it was a reverse. I ran down the court. Dana Barrows threw me the ball about the top of the key. We were in the New York Garden. I just jumped up in the air and dunk the ball backwards. The reason that that dunk is so important to me because I had never really dunked in a basketball game in the NBA yet, but I can tell you this, in the next 30 days, I had 62 dunks. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> after that one dunk in New York, after the next 30 days, I ended up having 62 dunks. So that was kind of the dunk that ignited the fire. There is the most famous one that everyone talks about. That's the dunk on Chris Gatling. Did did Chris, did Chris Mullen clear out of there? What's that? The, the Lister Blister or the Rattling Gatling? The the one that Chris Mullen said, "I'm out of here." <laughs> That's the Rattling Gatling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did he That's leave? He totally set his teammate up. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I was, I was like this, man. I, I respect Chris to death. He's a great guy. But when he shook my hand after I dunked on him, I just almost lost it out there on the court. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest of all time. Sean Kemp, thank you so much for coming on the Boom Podcast. We enjoyed it, sir. Man, thanks, guys, man. I appreciate it. Tell Britt, man, he was great. I used to watch him here. I watched him in Cincinnati. He definitely was a short dude, but he could hit the hell out that baseball. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast, EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast, neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe, never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.